All right, what's going on, Costa? Here we go. Can I say Merry Christmas yet? Uh, yeah, because by the time anybody hears this, it'll be Christmas time. All right. So Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. Do you do you truly believe that though in your heart when you say Merry Christmas to me? Oh, that I want you to have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying it just to be polite. <laughs> Folks, you have no idea. That took a lot for him to say that. We've been doing this every week now for a month. Yeah. It's getting a little tiring. <laughs> yeah, You're the one who wanted to do this in the first place. We need to do this. We need to do this. <laughs> now like, I'm the fire here. Uh, yeah, you are actually. <laughs> it's the one organized I thing always, in my life. I always have ideas and I do, and it gets to them. We could do these ideas and I never want to do it. And, get then, and then you get overwhelmed and then I have to carry you on my shoulders. My wife and I have this thing where we'll we'll make plans like with other people to do something, you know, friends we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah. And then it comes to that and we never want to leave the house. Like, <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time, but now we're just like very comfortable and don't want to leave. I'm like well, 80 years old. <laughs> well, I mean, some of the ideas that you and I and, and Madalena have come up with that have essentially hit the scrap heap because of one thing or another, they mm -hmm. were really good ideas. They were. Yeah, the world is made of full. It's, the world is full of good ideas. <laughs> so the Mets have a new manager. Yes. Is this like the fifth one in like the last year or something? <laughs> maybe not that bad. Did like we we had uh, Terry Collins, mm -hmm. and then we had Mickey Calloway, right? And then we've had uh, wait, did we have somebody in between? Carlos Beltran. Yes, that's right. Who never managed. Who I really wanted to manage too. Yeah, yeah. I gotten over the curveball, letting the curveball go. I, I really thought Wayne he was going to be a yes. Who's still pitching and dominant? <laughs> who's just so frustrated? I think Yadier Molina is still playing too. Oh, he is. Most of those Cardinals are still there. I can't. I is Pulhos playing this year? Oh, he, well, he he finished with the Dodgers last year, right? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think forgot. he went from the Angels to the Dodgers, but I'm not sure if he finished with the Dodgers. Yeah, man, that guy. He he's still to this day. Uh, there were two home runs that I have uh, that I had seen live that were probably the most impressive homers mm -hmm. ever, and it's the I think it's the 2002 World Series where uh, the Giants are playing the Angels. Okay, and uh, the Angels are up two nothing and against the Giants in Game Seven, I believe. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and Troy Percival, who was like the best closer, oh uh, no, uh, he was. Second best closer at baseball because Mariano was will always be the best. But he challenged Barry Bonds. He was one of the only moments where Barry Bonds got challenged at you. Or was it 2003? I think it was two. And I just saw this replay for some reason. No, he threw him He threw him a fastball that was about 99 miles an hour. And the ball's still going. <laughs> and, the ball, and, and Tim Salmon from the dugout at the time, who was the mm -hmm. all-star outfielder for the Angels, just said, that is the hardest and farthest ball I've ever seen. You could yeah. see him lip sync it. Like, you could see it. Uh, that ball was gone. But the other one was a year or two later when the, when the Astros were playing the Cardinals in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And Brad Lidge. Do you remember Bla Brad Lidge? I remember the name, yeah. Oh, man. what a, He was dominant with the Astros. And I remember uh, in that playoff game who was unhittable up until the point where he faced Albert Pujols and he threw him a fastball in that playoff game and he hit it over the train in Minute Maid Park. 
I was I I I couldn't believe it. I thought Brad Lidge was going to cry at that moment. <laughs> but Pujols hit. That was probably one of the furthest balls I'd ever seen hit. It was incredible. You know, when you think of Barry Bonds at Fortune, I just think of one word: steroids. I, yes, but he was, but he was going to make the Hall of Fame without it, which makes it even worse. It's even no, more I, of a I agree. Story. Look, I'm Henry not, Aaron is still the home run king. Sorry. I am not going to. I'm not defending him here. Yeah, but I have to admit, <laughs> did I take delight in watching him dominate the game the way? Did he you did? really? I really did. See, I couldn't. I couldn't watch him. I, I thought he was just a cheat. I, you know what? He's such an arrogant guy. He was too, a which very arrogant. That did not guy. help. No, I know, but I remember going to. I think it was still City uh, Shea Stadium at uh-huh. the time, and Aaron Heilman was on, on the starting staff. And your recall is amazing. Oh my Aaron goodness, Heilman! Wow. Yeah, and I remember where I was, I was in the mezzanine, and everybody in the stadium that year was everywhere Barry Bonds went. They were mm-hmm. all cheering for him because I think he was he was walked multiple times with the bases loaded that year. I think he hit three seventy, uh, and he only had. 300 at bats because he was walked 200 times that year he's yeah. incredible it was probably i think the, he was walked with the bases loaded once yeah yeah uh but i remember he hit two home runs off of heilman at like heilman tried to throw him like a 88 mile an hour fastball on the inside corner of the plate mm-hmm. and it's like oh barry bonds is the best left-handed hitter <laughs> ever <laughs> you try to throw him an 88 mile an hour fastball <laughs> do you remember when when Bonds and Bonilla came up for free agency. Yeah. And the Mets got Bonilla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're still paying Bobby Bonilla every July 1st. <laughs> it was just like essentially the one of the greatest sign – like one of the greatest deals you could ever make as a player. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to do anything. No. And I mean in 99, what was it? He was still making that money. After he had left and then came back, and he's playing playing cards with Ricky Henderson in the in the yeah. <laughs> NLCS. It's such a Mets thing. <laughs> well, there's two people enjoying this conversation, and only two people, and that's you and I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like Buck Showalter is established yeah. everywhere he goes, he yeah. wins. He's, he'll be like an adult in the clubhouse now. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, yeah. I really am. I mean, I I would have really liked to have seen. Uh, Carlos Beltran, mm-hmm. like really manage. I thought he would have been great, but uh, with Buck, with the team that we got, like I really think that we got a shot for real, like a real. It's a he's a real bona fide manager. Yeah, let's just hope there's baseball because they're they're locked out now. I'm pretending that there is. I'm just gonna. Okay. I am. I am not thinking about it. I'm thinking. We're going to see a spring training. I believe that there's going to be an opening day and everybody's going to go bananas. That's how I'm just going to live in that ignorance. If we get to April, which will be worse for you? If there's no baseball or for some reason that they cancel the resurrection, there's no Easter. <laughs> Don't ask me that question publicly. <laughs> <laughs> so we have um, – before we get on with the, the Christmas episode that we're doing, just two things that are coming up. Um, next week, Father Dave is going to be in Alaska. Yeah. And uh, with our other campus minister, Jess Madalena, I had wanted to go, but they, they wouldn't allow me to go. So uh, what we're going to do, we're going to— We didn't want you to go. No. no. <laughs> Someday I'm going to be able to go to Alaska. <laughs> but we, uh, we're going to try to Wait, do, have you never been? To Alaska? Yeah. No. Wait, but weren't they running this trip, uh, this service trip? Yeah, but I was doing Peru at the time. Oh. And I think that same year I'd done Panama. 
So I just wanted to show my face in my house for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I think that was yeah, 2019. I think I was like in a hotel in three different countries for like 60 nights. So I, I, I took a pass on – I really was. I took a pass on Alaska. Were you just like sending pictures of your face to your wife and children? <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah. this is who I am. Don't forget me. Years ago when we were in the midst of the Peru trips, um, my son Thomas came down the stairs one morning. I was down there. I was in, in Peru. And Thomas came down and said, where's dad? <laughs> His son said, he's in Peru. He's been there for about a week. <laughs> It got to be so routine. But anyway, sorry, we digress. So um, we're going to try to do a um, a podcast where you'll be in Alaska. Yeah. And we, I don't even know what the topic's going to be. You're going to have to think of a topic up there. Sure. Yeah. I don't know what people do in Alaska. Like the rest of our podcast episodes, yeah. <laughs> we wing it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I woke up today not thinking I'd be talking about Barry Bonds, so you never know what's, what's going what's to happen. True. Although I have to admit. We did actually try for this Advent series. Oh, we really did. There was a lot of preparation. <laughs> so if you think that this is still low budget, it still is. It's still low budget. <laughs> it's no budget. And, and we tried. <laughs> we really did a lot of prep. <laughs> and then in January, we're going to do an episode on Spider-Man, which I didn't think I'd be saying because yes. I'm usually making fun of you. Yes. About being so excited about Spider-Man. And then it I changed sl- my life. And then <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I mean, the, the credits were still going on. I was texting you. Yeah. It's like, this that was amazing. So we're going to bring in um, some, some other people who uh, can, can speak of the movie both from a cinematic perspective, but we also want to try – I saw some Christian themes there, Christian themes there that I, oh, think, yeah. that I think we could talk about. So uh, that's coming up in January as well. This is by far, after, out of the last 20 years, my favorite Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Like, honestly – I could forget the major theme of what is going on in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Just give me good quality Spider-Man movies. I've not heard an audience cheer since I think I saw Rocky Two, which would have been when was it? The eighties? I didn't remember. But yeah. Rocky Two, I remember sitting in the theater. No, the Rocky f- Two. Oh, eighty-one. Eighty-one or seventy-nine. The the people watching the film were cheering so much you couldn't hear the commentators, like yeah. the people in the movie, and that's what this was like. Oh, it was awesome. Right, it was so, so awesome. So we'll be we'll be talking about that. Um, we'd also like to welcome Canada on board. Um, I think two podcasts ago, I was, I was complaining a little bit that nobody from Canada was listening. And I don't know how this happened, but about two days later, Canada lights up. So whoever had, you are, whoever you are. Thank you. You have just given Costa like the greatest ki- Christmas gift. Oh, absolutely. That's all he, that's just all he wanted. That really is, because number one, it, it lit up on the screen. I took a picture of it. I, I texted you, I think. This is what it looks like. Yeah, no, this, seriously, guys, you have no idea how happy he is. <laughs> well, I love, I just, I, I, I love the country. I love hockey. I love... Um, I can't even make my comment to you because everybody in Canada pretty much loves hockey. So and you have to respect that. You're going to annoy. Everybody cares about hockey up there. Absolutely. Costa. And they should. So, so welcome on board, Canada. We are we're thrilled to have you. Actually, I went to my students, and I was I was complaining about this to my students, and one of them was going to. They're going. Actually, she may be near. She may be there now. They were going for Christmas break to Canada, so she was going. to oh. I said, "Could you just listen to the podcast up there?" But subsequently, it happened anyway. It happened organically. <laughs> it's not like anybody was listening. 
and because then we would have seen that ahead of time. So I don't know what happened. It's it's divine grace. Gang, I'm really – I got to be honest with you. I'm suspect on this. I, I think he's starting to really pay people to just like listen <laughs> to put like blimps on the screen. <laughs> So anyway, welcome. But we did want to wrap up – probably the wrong word to use when it comes to Christmas. There's actually no pun intended there either. Finish a thought here, Costa. To We've been leading up with four weeks of Advent, either talking about the readings or talking about some of the people that we've seen in in the Advent stories, and wanted to speak about Christmas – and the Christmas readings, and in some of the the thoughts we've had about, really, it's it's a very incarnational theme. Uh, yeah, you know, is, is where can we see Christ today? Um, Mary really opened the door on bringing God into the world. And I think it's up to us to keep that door open. So I think we often think of Christmas as an end, especially in in the, the the craziness and we spoke about this the craziness of the month leading up to it um with all that has to be done and then we get to christmas and it's like the end okay christmas is here yeah and then then we turn our attention to whatever the next thing is as opposed to seeing it as a beginning mm-hmm. you know and and i guess that's a it, it's a hard thing because then we have new years right after that and right. that's almost like symbolically the beginning but instead of seeing Christmas as the end, or we've arrived at it, start thinking about this beginning. Yeah. 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 So what we would like to do is kind of start off with the beginning of chapter two in Luke's gospel, and just read the first paragraph uh, of, of the opening to that chapter. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment, when Quinarius was governor of Syria. So all went to be enrolled, each to his own town. And Joseph too went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, that is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house in the family of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And this is, uh, for the most part, essentially the gospel reading for the Midnight Mass, if you decide to attend it. Uh, this uh, in a few days uh, on Christmas. That's always traditionally the reading that is read. And the thing we've been talking about a little bit is the the concreteness of this, how God entered the world in a concrete form. Mm -hmm. Does the the baby part of it, do you think, for some— overshadow the God part of it for those who think, uh, for those who just love babies. Are you a baby fan? You like babies? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, are you, are you not? They're fine. Oh, okay. They're fine. Um, I, I, I don't... Are there people out there who do not like babies? I don't know if they don't like babies. I don't... I, I come from a family that 
they gush over babies. I mean, I don't want to change a diaper. No, that's not that bad. But <laughs> no, you said people got, they get emotional when they see a baby. Yeah, I mean, I'm an emotional person, but I've never gotten emotional over a baby. Okay. All right. Like completely. I mean, you know, I think they're nice. Yeah, I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> I'm wonder. I'm, I'm kind of in a Michael Scott moment from The Office, where you start a sentence, you hope it leads somewhere. I love babies. We can leave it right there. That's, that's good. <laughs> no, I do think there's something very beautiful and very important about the very first time, as you're as as you're referring to, as the the concreteness of of God entering into the universe. Not that he has not been in the universe or is part of it, but in a human form, in a in a human form, or, or like the 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 pinnacle of his manifestation is is found and rooted in a little child. That the first time people will be able to see the face of God, it is not in this you know Zeus like character. Yeah, it is. It is not in this tyrannical person. It is really rooted in the innocence and the beauty of a baby. And I think particularly the vulnerability of yeah, that I mean, child, because they can't do anything. And and that's exactly how God wanted his first impression to be towards the entire universe. That's like when we, you and I get our first glimpse of like physically seeing God, mm-hmm. it's, it's in his child, like in a child. And the, the idea that, it is in such extraordinary circumstances, um, but not coming as the we, we, this is the, the the theme we've been mentioning all through Advent is not in the form of a king that anybody else would recognize as yeah, exactly. a warrior. Exactly, that, and 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 to be able to, to you know to see that our our God who had the choice to kind of be anywhere and and become anything he started off in the lowest of the lowest possibilities of humanity you had said something i think two weeks ago when talking about herod and i actually referenced it last week because i've been thinking about it is that herod missed what everybody else could see but along those lines i was reading something that pope benedict wrote i think before he was pope um regarding the ox and the ass at the stable and and where that came from. And he was talking about, so we, we know the manger scene that we're very familiar with really came from St. Francis, that, that up until that time, the predominant holiday, um, wrong word, the predominant feast day for Christians would have been Easter. And I, I guess mm-hmm. it, it should still be. That's, you know, uh, without doubt, um, because of the, the resurrection. It's the thing we celebrate every Sunday. But the the prominence of Christmas began more with St. Francis and th- with the crush that we know. And and if you have seen these crushes, most people have, especially people that would be listening to us, would would see the ox and the ass. And what, um, what Cardinal Ratzinger was saying was that that comes from a reference to Isaiah. In the very beginning of Isaiah, in chapter 1, Isaiah notes that even the ox and the ass know their master. But he was saying, Isaiah here, the Israelites did not. Yeah. You know, and that's what he was prophesizing about. The Israelites would not know. And so those are there as a symbol. 
of if the ox and the ass know their master, they know their creator, they know their God, but we don't. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's, thinking about what you said regarding Herod, and it's, I think it's easy to look down at these historical figures that we know are so bad and say, oh, thank God I'm not them. Almost like, almost like the um, uh, Jesus talks about the um, the pious person that said to that said in the in the temple, "Oh, thank God, I'm not the tax collector." But, <laughs> but very much from a from a boastful boastful mm-hmm. standpoint, I think we could all lend, we could all do that, and you know, thank God, I'm not Herod. But where have we missed the star? Where has the invitation come? Yeah. Because God wants to come to us. Going back to again, try to tie this all together back to the image that uh, Bishop Aaron gives us. Have we made straight the path so God can can land on our hearts? Yeah, because we're not going to Him. And the uh, so that was a fascinating thing. I had never known that was the origin of of where those appeared in the stable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Two quick things on top of uh, like just to kind of piggyback off of that. First, I just want to make this publicly known that you said that something that I had said. Mm-hmm. You have been really thinking about for the last couple of weeks. And I, I think uh, we should mention that. I very rarely compliment you to your face. <laughs> so I'm just going to take that and we're just going to run with that. Merry right. Christmas. <laughs> uh, the other thing is this. Uh, complete aside is that like, can we just stop and take a moment here to really celebrate St. Francis of Assisi? Mm-hmm. Instead of just like saying that, like celebrating the fact that the guy could talk to animals and yeah. like he's the patron saint of animals. You're he right was or, a bit more than that. Yeah. I mean, the guy established right, the creche as we know it and, uh-huh. and some of the some of the traditions that have been handed down, uh, you know, regarding, you know, how we view the, the, the birth of Christ. Mm-hmm. He established and started a, a Eucharistic adoration. Uh, <laughs> he... He essentially, I mean, this is Time Magazine, is that he's deemed him one of the five most influential yeah. people in the world yeah. for his, you know, dedication to the poor. Mm-hmm. I mean, the man was so much more than like talking to animals. Well, there's there's a reason that the um, Cardinal Bergoglio chose the name Francis when when he was pope. I guess this is really kind of going off on on Francis a little bit. But I I was thinking about sometimes we see a division in the church we have, and I'm going to oversimplify it, but we have on one side the the Eucharistic adoration people, and we have on the other side the the social justice people. And sometimes there are divisions there in the way we see the church. I think Francis has brought those together, and you see that perfectly in the CFR brothers and the CFR sisters that are out on the streets every day serving the poor in an adoration at night. And there's other groups like that, too. I'm not saying they're the only ones, Um, but they really brought together those two ends beautifully. When we get to, just to go uh, harken back to the the gospel reading for Midnight Mass, um, and and a reference point to, we're not going to read the genealogy, one, uh, in, in Matthew's gospel, only because I don't know how to say three quarters of those names. And you probably fall asleep if you're not already asleep listening <laughs> to those names. Uh, but we also want to talk about the, I think it's a point to be mentioned that there is human cooperation with God's plan, that God has chosen and desired humanity to actively participate in this beautiful uh, event uh, of his manifestation to you and I, you know, to to the world, uh, of his coming, 
And so like in Matthew's gospel, yeah, I know we could get bogged down with, which is pretty much, you know, uh, the first century Judaism's way of kind of giving a ancestry.com kind of analysis of the the historical This is their story. He was, Matthew was trying to say, this is your story. This is, these are your people. Right. So like, it's not like this savior has come out of you know, is, is that Jesus has poofed out of thin air. Right. Uh, but rather it's rooted very much in the, in mm-hmm. the historical context. And the stuff from Jesse and yeah. Bethlehem, starting the city of David. Exactly. And then, and then also too, when we get to this, uh, when we get to Luke's gospel, we see that Mary and Joseph actively participate in that. Uh, not to, and not to say that God could not have manifested himself he could not, you know, like that he, that he couldn't have, you know, revealed himself without humanity. Mm-hmm. He has chosen to allow us to participate that in that. And so when, when uh, we see the great example between Mary and Joseph in their great yes to God's plan, uh, their yes to God's will had brought about you know, in cooperation with the Lord, uh, the, the, you know, the presence of our Lord. Mm -hmm. And, and that's very, and that is very much how you and I, when we're, when we, when we surrender to God's will and we trust in his plan, when we say yes to his will, we inevitably are manifesting the Lord's presence in the world. And I think it's what you were just alluding to this. It's what we're called to do every day. Every day. Every day. Um, I was in a texting conversation with a uh, good friend of mine about um, a a teacher here about the – I don't want to call it the duality because that suggests it's something different. But the transcendent nature of God and the incarnational nature of God and the the attempt to bring those two things together. And that might be a subject for a whole other podcast. Um, But it all takes place – yeah, in 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 the crib. Yeah, and in, I think the, we have in the manger. Both of those, both of those aspects. The way we know God as the I'm thinking of you know Aquinas um, would say you know, the unmoved mover, the 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 unknowable God. You know, uh, I think Father Michael Himes from Boston College says once you've defined God, it's no longer God you're talking about. <laughs> and um, and then, but then that tangible God that that's sitting in the feeding trough. In, yeah. in Bethlehem, you know, and it really, it, it, it's fascinating. It's probably, like I said, it's probably uh, a topic for another, another podcast at time yeah. at times, but, but we, we, we have that transcendence in our relationships as well. There's always a bit about the other person that is unknowable, even a husband and wife, there's a part of them that's unknowable to the other. But but that tangible reality and, and that life giving nature and that could be with friendships it could be relationships between parents and children um, it's it's I think it mimics a little bit of relationship with with God and gives us a at least a way to possibly understand it yeah I mean I, I think about like when you when we read the when we read the account in in the gospel especially in Luke's account where uh, the shepherds or the the wise men you know when the or the three kings like when they when they come across you know uh, adoring it and seeing the face of the baby of mm-hmm. baby Jesus they're overcome with great joy because they know it they get it yeah, yeah so like 
there's, I mean, I think that's part of, like, they think that's where so much of the joy of the gospel comes from is that mm-hmm. as, as we've mentioned this a million times when Pope Benedict had said this, that Christianity is not first yeah. and foremost a, a set of theological rules or doctrines ethical principles, right. doctrines or, you know, uh, an institution. It's first and foremost a relationship with a person. And I think that's where the great joy and that that's the transcendent joy yeah. in knowing that our God has decided to, to become like you and I. And the, the thing we take from it, and, and I know you didn't do your homework from last week of watching The Chosen, like we had asked the Chosen Christmas special, but one of the things they, <laughs> that comes from that, and this is, this is an add-on, it's not from Scripture, but people have to know. Like the thing that the shepherds saw, people have to know this. And that's what we, that's what we do all the time. When we when there's something that brings joy and life giving nature yeah. to our heart, people need. We want to tell people about it. Yeah, I had read a meditation uh, uh, just regarding last week's uh, gospel uh, of the visitation that we had at Sunday Mass. That's a gr- that's a great example. And Mary and, wanted Mary wanted Elizabeth to know. Yeah, and the and the meditation that I had come across, you know, just simply stated that as uh, that the heart can um, can can take. Uh, this this infinite amount of sorrow, but this infinite amount of joy. And when the joy is written in with our hearts, there's only so much that our heart can take before we have to release it yeah. and give it to somebody Dante else. talks about that, yeah. And, and like, there's a certain part where we could keep it for ourselves, but then there comes a point, and they were referring to that between, between the Blessed Mother Elizabeth and St. John, mm-hmm. like when they, well, like Elizabeth says, I've, you know, as soon as your greeting touched my ears, you know, the baby within me leapt for great joy. But she had, she ran there in haste to tell her mm-hmm. and to serve, you know, to help her and serve yeah. her. Like the joy was overflowing and she had to tell somebody, you know. We, we see this, hopefully, we think back at, at moments in our lives where we've, uh, perhaps seen that star, not recognized it as a star necessarily, um, but but our hearts were pulled towards something, or we noticed something that was a little different. You were telling me a story from Indianapolis from uh, four years ago, uh, six years ago. Okay. now. Um, it was yeah, it was my first time in Indianapolis for the and, NCYC for the, the, what, the thing we were talking about. We had the podcast from a few episodes ago with the students. Yeah, I had been sent uh, with a couple of other people from the diocese to kind of, kind of scope it out to see if it's worth bringing young people there from the diocese. And, um, and six years ago, there were, uh, there were probably twice as many, three times as many, uh, homeless people on the streets that we were walking, uh, every day that we were there, uh, just this past, just past month ago. And one of the people that I was with, um, I had just met her, and, uh, and we were just kind of really getting to know each other. And as we're walking through the streets now, <laughs> I, I kind of have uh, had a little tainted view of, uh, from my experiences in the past of, you know, homeless people and, and like, yeah, serving them, but like always kind of seeing that there's, there's an angle that they're working there. So mm-hmm. like my wall would always be up. Sure. And they don't want to get taken. They don't want to get taken. Yeah. And, and this, this person, every time I turned around when we were walking to something, uh, couldn't find her. Mm-hmm. And she was off it. I'd be like, where'd she go? And, and there she is 
there she there she would be like kneeling down uh talking getting down at the, at, at their level uh maybe sometimes she had a dollar to give them maybe she went and got some food but it wasn't all the time most of the time she wanted to talk to them get their name help restore some of their dignity yeah and and talk with them and pray with them mm-hmm. and uh as much as i was freaking out trying to find her just to be like you know yeah. uh is she okay um because uh, i just that's the that's the back of my mind is like you know is there is there a double motive here uh it was such a beautiful witness mm-hmm. and she had said that she didn't want on her judgment day for jesus to say you walked right past me on yeah. the street that's that's a, it's a beautiful story yeah it also explains how two years ago when we were in indianapolis you were so skittish and super skittish thinking we were losing the students we the last night so father dave at that point in two years ago had been with us what two months two three, three months yeah yeah and had not been used to traveling with students so um or the campus minister and i we, we have been and it's always something it's something you never take for granted you're always always trying to stay two steps ahead you know what right. possible trouble could they get in where could they go and you know, it's 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 always a challenge, but you you you, you live with it, and you you assume that responsibility, um, <laughs> and you just didn't have the experience. I mean, it wasn't wasn't your fault. So I think the last night there, we kind of found a central point near a mall in right downtown Indianapolis, and said we're going to meet back here like in two hours, and I didn't realize that had made you so nervous. I the I, my stomach dropped. <laughs> See, because gang, in my world, I'm the wild card. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I, I am the one, that I, at least that like would be like, okay, we'll do this or that, and as long as there are people who are holding things together structurally, I'm okay. Yeah, it, it allows me to kind of be the goofball that I am. Right. But when that's not the case, and, and the two of you were just like, yeah, let them go, we'll be okay, right? Yeah, They'll be back. I'll, uh, uh. <laughs> I'm not sure we said it with, with that casualness. No, but no. We, but gave I was like, in, we gave them instructions. We're in a completely different city. I don't know my left <laughs> or my right here. This is like, what are they, uh, what, how are we going to, and we didn't have Life 360 at the time. Right. You know, uh, we, we had it on every single kid this, this, this yeah. time. Well, there were like, what, 10 students? Yeah. And then yeah. and we returned with 10 students. And they were probably the same students. <laughs> yeah, they might not have been. I mean, we yeah. could have had a different version of Liam. <laughs> <laughs> but um it was it, it, I mean it's I'm glad you in all seriousness mentioned that story because it really is a is a beautiful story. Um and but here's the deal, like you were able to see that. So I know I know you were telling the story from the perspective of the person that was speaking to the homeless person. Right, but the grace was also manifest to you as well. Yeah, definitely. Like you saw it, even even despite your fear, it, it, despite, despite your fear for her, right? And and also that fear of getting taken. I think that's a very definitely human human attitude. Because I had had those kind of experiences right. in the past, and you know, to to be to be honest, seeing her be the face of Jesus mm-hmm. for those men and women uh, on those cold streets that that six years ago uh it did it did break some of that wall for me uh to really just kind of live out um a little bit more mm-hmm. zealously uh service for the poor 
One of the the stories I was thinking about in in a way that where where people manifested God to me, where this incarnation came out, was in 1999. I had come here for an interview. Um, I I don't know if I told you. I had no intention of taking the job. I wore a golf shirt to the interview because <laughs> I just wanted the interview experience. I was using the school. And Little did you know, I wasn't good enough at not getting the job, but. Um, I had the next week, I had to go to Woodstock. So Woodstock 99 was at an old Air Force base in Rome, New York. And I had one child at the time. Uh, Jen was, I think, eight months pregnant with Liam at this point. Now, why did you have to Oh, so the company, I'm sorry, I, I left that part out. I was working, I was the general manager of the, world, the observation deck of the World Trade Center. The company um, that I worked for was doing the, the food and beverage at Woodstock. Okay. I did not want to go to Woodstock. I would pay to see that. So <laughs> I think I even went up a day late. I might have even made up a story. I actually didn't make up a story. I was going to grad school. I had gone back for my – I just started my master's in theology. That's what it was. So there was a class. So I was able to go up a day late. So I I arrived. I flew into, I think, Rochester, drove for an hour and a half, two hours, get to the place like six at night, and I find my boss. And we flew over it, actually. And it was just mass of people. And I found my boss, and I'm thinking he's going to say, oh, go to the hotel, get a good night's sleep, we'll see you in the morning. He said, no, no, he said, you're on the 9, a, 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. shift. <laughs> so, oh, this is getting better. So my job that night was to drive a Gator. It's like a souped-up golf cart. Yes. There, it was kind of cool. And I had to bring supplies to the different stands, whether it be food, whether it be, I think, souvenirs. I can't remember. And um, so it, it was like another world because there were these two main stages on this Air Force base. And they might have been a mile apart. They were pretty, pretty, but they were, it was loud. So if you're in the middle of it, it was just noise. And we were driving around and it was, I was with somebody else from like a different location, a different, uh, from my company that I had never met before. She was nice. And we're driving around and it's part, it's pitch black. So all you you see you hear is a noise. The the smell of, of pot was all over the place. You couldn't get you couldn't get away from it. People were doing um, well. First of all, it, it apparently was clothing optional too, which oh it shouldn't have been. Gosh. And people were doing ecstasy. Um, so to keep their jaws from locking, they were, they had these binkies like these pacifiers in their mouths. So oh. I'm driving around at night. And like, and all your, your headlights are getting these people that are like barely dressed, if they're dressed at all, with binkies in their mouth. I think it, it's like the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I have a wife who's pregnant at home. It's like, what am I doing? This is awful. It was like the dregs of humanity, and it actually got worse. Because I don't know if you ever read about that, they set the place on fire the last night. No way. Oh yeah, yeah. Limp Biscuit, I think, did a song called "Break or Break This," and people started to do it. <laughs> We started breaking stuff, and they lit it on fire. We had refrigerated trucks that were going up in flames. The fire department couldn't get in because oh, there were so many people. But anyway, that's not the part of the story. So that, that first night, we're driving around. And like at 3 o'clock, I guess they all had a signal. They all went to bed. It seems like at 3 o'clock, everybody was just quiet. It finally settled down. They just people passed out. <laughs> there were a few raves that were still going on. But um, So I'm driving around. There was really nothing to supply. So now it's we had like three hours until sunrise. So we're driving around, and we we come upon this group of people who were dancing, but like very 
different than what we had seen. Um, they were doing like these circle dances. I don't even know what you would call it. No idea. They were dressed completely, like very modestly. And that was something we hadn't seen in a while. So um, we pull up and they were actually outside of a, a place where they sold coffee, which was like, talk about manna in the desert at 3 a.m. <laughs> it was getting cold. And so I was able to get coffee and they, um, but the people outside dancing were part of this, this coffee place. So I asked them what they were and they said, they just go from rock festival to rock festival preaching about Jesus. Get out. Yeah. And I remember looking around thinking, my God, why are you here? Like this is, I I haven't sensed Jesus anywhere since I've been here. Mm. And they, well, that's where we need to be. And it really was like a, a turning point for me. It's like, this is where we need to be. You yeah. know, it, if, we, if we're in the churches, people are already in the churches, this is where we need to be. And they just, they were exuding joy. And um, I, I've never, ever forgotten that moment as far as even, even inform my decision about coming here on, on some level. Mm-hmm. But that, that, you know, that transcendent God who we strive to know they manifest right there That's you know in, in the middle of a really was a horrible situation and that actually just got worse as, as the days progressed but it was kind of a cool thing because that takes a lot of courage from a uh, from a missionary point of view oh yeah because you are in the lion's den oh yeah you are you, you're like you said you're in the dregs there of of complete you know uh godlessness yeah and some people would ignore you, but others will come and go back at you. Oh, God, you know, God's made up. It's, it's just, you know, something they want to control your mind. All the stuff that we've heard over the years. Sure. You know, about, sure. about people who are suspicious about religion. Yeah, I would yeah. imagine, too, for those, that, that group of, of people, they must have been very exhausted spiritually, mm-hmm. physically, you know, uh, mentally. Yeah. After... Uh, an experience like that because you're on you're on your game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you are getting questions that are going to come out of completely left field. That's true. And and like to be a witness of Christ, not just the witness of Christ there physically, but to, to to then engage, you know, in a very intellectual way for somebody who might not even be completely with it, right. Uh, but to just a plant to see that's a that's a beautiful story. Yeah, and you can't and sometimes from their position and we will have it too. I'll have it in the classroom even. You you it's a great question, but you there's so much backup that you have to give to even make the make the answer make sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and that's what I have found with a lot of my conversations here at the school. Yeah. is that you have to try to sum up very quickly and very brief like very briefly and it's got to be a tight summary of where you have to go with a conversation, mm-hmm. which can be very exhausting Yeah, because you know you only have a, lim- a limited time frame, not just not just a limited time frame here in the building before the next bell rings, but then mentally before you lose the person you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. So then that's where the incarnational part comes back in. Question, before you go anywhere else, yeah. did you ever run anybody over with that gator? No, I don't think we did. Really? No, it was hard not to, though, because it was like it was just it this mass of people. I, I mean, think... I have this visual of you just kind of like 
saying like, forget it. I don't care anymore. Like just throwing your hands up and go, I'm just taking anybody out. I understand why you would think that of me, but actually I didn't. <laughs> I could definitely say by like two o'clock in the morning where you're like, why am I even here? Just like, I'm just going to hit anybody. That I close my eyes now. I could picture exactly what it was like. Did you did you hook up like a plow to it so you could just like push people push the people away? <laughs> There's this camp of people who are dressed modestly and handed out coffee and engaging people, and you're like, yeah, get out of my way. <laughs> I actually stayed there for a few days afterwards and helped clean up. I was I was never so glad to go home. But but that's how God works. So if we oh, could yeah. we could look at that we could look at that manger and say. Well, that's unique. Mm-hmm. That's a different way of doing things. You know, mm-hmm. um, the um, the criteria we use to say like nobody would make that up in the Bible. It's just too different. It had to right. have happened. But I think the 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 story about that you told about Indianapolis, my story, and I think everybody listening would have a story of their own where God reached out to them in the most unlikely of circumstances. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and and we were able to perceive it at that moment. Probably God is always, no, not probably, God is always reaching out to us. Yeah. You know, whether we see that, whether we see that star Mm -hmm. above the manger or not, because we might say, well, this is just too unlikely. It's, it's, it's not possible that God can be here. Yeah. I, and I mean, it, one of the things too is like any of these encounters, they're never neat, like they're 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 not tidy. No. Like the manger was not a neat, tidy place. You know, it, like that's where Jesus you know, manifested himself yeah. w- within the, the filth of our exi- like our existence. And I'm like, that's where you encountered, uh, that's where people were and where you were encountering, you know, the filth of, uh, of human existence, mm-hmm. you know, total debauchery and, and, and like godlessness, Yeah, you know, or, or like even just the physical filth of, of, and, and the lack of dignity that had been given to those people where I had kind of encountered it on the streets of Indianapolis. Right. Like that's where, or we could be here in our offices, like the, 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 the filth of, of the corruption of sin, of, of the evil one that has planted lies in these, in these kids' hearts, Absolutely. in these students' hearts, where, Absolutely. Like, where we have to work through that. Yeah. Like, that's where Jesus is. Yeah. That's where he wants to be, because, like, the wounds that we have all stem from the the, the filth of sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, if we, you know, like, when we're engaging, like, Jesus doesn't want to be on the outside. He wants to be, like, right there in the murk of it. Yep. So, like... That's where that's where those encounters come from. That's where we find them. It's no different than that major two thousand years ago. Yeah, the um, the the thing that I've think I've learned the most this Advent because um, we really all joking aside, we have spoken a lot about what we wanted to say in these podcasts, and we've yeah. both done a lot of reading. Mm-hmm. Um, is the the sense that Mary and Joseph had in trying to make that a nice place. And I, mm-hmm. I and I think that's maybe where I was leading without even knowing it um, when I was talking about the baby thing in the beginning. It, it wasn't cute and it wasn't cuddly. Right. You know, I, I grew up with the manger in front of my house that had the straw. We were talking about that yeah. a few, and it was, it's pretty. Like it's in front of my house now. It looks nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, it, it, but it wasn't nice. No, 
Yeah. And, and especially from the perspective of two young people that didn't really know each other well, were asked by God to do something. They said yes without really knowing how it was going to be right. and, and have the faith to do that and, um, and, and do it in, in less than uh, optimal circumstances. Yeah. 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 We, we wanted to finish up with something that really started this whole plan we had for Advent, and it is a, um, it's a pretty long passage, so we're going to ask you to bear with us. It's from the Ronald, Father Ronald Rollheiser book, The Holy Longing, and it's one of those passages that I was, I was reading it, I think, in bed one night, and it was stunning to me. And I, I brought it to work the next day and showed you. And it, it is so well said. So we're going we're gonna to end it with this. So we ask you to, to stay with us. It's going to be um, a, a minute or two of reading. It's, it's nothing we normally do to read anything this long. Yeah. And, and you know, we were thinking of different ways of how we can incorporate this into uh, our understanding and theme of, of the Advent uh, sessions and, uh, and the Christmas uh, and this particular session of, of Christmas and the Incarnation. And we we were debating whether or not we should read the whole thing, but uh, we wanted we want to end this session on this. Uh, he does such a beautiful job of summarizing what you and I, right, Costa, have tried to yeah. allude oh, to gosh. this entire time. Yes, and so yeah, just if you could just bear with us and let this be kind of like a pre-Christmas meditation. Yeah. The first part of this passage, uh, Father Rollheiser is referencing Father Daniel Berrigan. And it begins on page 186 by saying, Father Berrigan provides a good answer to the question of where can we see God? He was once asked to give a talk at a university gathering. The topic was something to the effect of God's presence in today's world. His talk, I suspect, surprised a number of people in the audience, both in its brevity and in its content. He simply told the audience how he, working in a hospice for the terminally ill, goes each week to spend some time sitting by the bed of a young boy who is totally incapacitated physically and mentally. The young boy can only lie there. He cannot speak or communicate with his body, nor in any other way express himself to those who come into his room. He lies mute, helpless, and by all outward appearance cut off from any possible communication. Berrigan then described how he goes regularly to sit by this boy's bed to try to hear what he is saying in his silence and his helplessness. After sharing this, Berrigan added a further point. The way this young man lies in our world, silent and helpless, is the way God lies in our world. To hear what God is saying, we must learn to hear what this young boy is saying. This is an extremely useful image in helping us understand God's power, and it manifests itself in our world. God's power is in the world like that of the young boy. It does not overpower anyone or anything. It lies muted at the deep moral and spiritual base of things. It does not overpower with muscle or attractiveness or brilliance or grace as does the speed and muscle of an Olympic athlete, the physical beauty of a young film star, or the gifted speech or rhetoric of a brilliant orator or author. These latter things, muscle, swiftness, beauty, brilliance, grace, reflect God's glory, but they are not the primary way God shows power in this world. 
God's power in the world has a very different look and a very different feel to it. What does God's power look like? How does it feel to feel as God in the world? If you have ever been overpowered physically or been helpless in that, if you have ever been hit or slapped by someone and been powerless to defend yourself or fight back, then you have felt how God feels in this world. If you have ever dreamed a dream and found that every effort you made was hopeless and that your dream could never be realized, if you had ever cried tears and felt shame at your own inadequacy, then you have felt how God feels in this world. If you have ever been shamed in your enthusiasm and not given a chance to explain yourself, if you have ever been cursed for your goodness by people who misunderstood you and were powerless to make them see things in your way, then you have felt how God feels in this world. If you have ever tried to make yourself attractive to someone and were incapable of it, if you have ever loved someone and wanted desperately to somehow make him or her notice you and found yourself hopelessly unable to do so, then you have felt how God feels in this world. If you have ever felt yourself aging and losing both the health and tautness of a young body and the opportunities that come with that and have been powerless to turn back the clock, if you have ever felt the world slipping away from you as you grow older or even more marginalized, then you have felt how God feels in this world. God never overpowers. God's power in this world is never the power of muscle or speed or physical attractiveness, or brilliance, or a grace, which has, as the contemporary expression has it, blows you away and makes you shout, yes, yes, there is God. The world's power tries to work that way. God's power, though, is more muted, more helpless, more shamed, and more marginalized. But it lies at a deeper level, at the ultimate base of things, and will, in the end, gently have the final say. So as as we kind of wrap up here on this uh, this Christmas uh, episode, uh, we we kind of hope that uh, our intention was to be able to reveal the incarnation in maybe a different way, uh, and and the hope is is that you and I uh, can understand that uh, you know just as Father Berrigan uh, has <clears throat> had really kind of um, explained that you and I manifesting our Lord's presence um, can be in, in very subtle, unique, beautiful ways, uh, but also to at the same time become very impactful for the rest of humanity. So with that, um, well, gang, we hope you have a beautiful Christmas. Uh, we have, we hope you have a, a just a, a very um, a beautiful start to the new year. And uh, we hope to be able to talk to you soon. God bless, guys. If you would like to contact Father Dave or me, please follow us on Facebook at Locusts and Wild Honey. We appreciate your comments on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please tell us what you think and share with your friends.